Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on today with Mark Hinton, who is an athletic trainer that has been in the track and field world for about a decade or more and is working with some of the top track and field athletes, not only in the country, but also in the world. Um, Mark and I spent a lot of time at some track meets at Arkansas and across the country during our times of overlapping and the things that he was doing are something I always paid attention to because he was producing the top results with some of the best athletes and we get into some stuff here that I just hadn't even considered and something we're definitely going to take a look at on our end as well. So if you work in the track and field world or have any interest, this is the guy to listen to. So many unique stories, so many unique insights, what he's doing with that program and the trust he has earned with the track coaches, which isn't always easy uh, when you're talking about adjusting stride lengths and things with athletes is pretty impressive. So with that, enjoy this episode with Mark Hinton. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We're on with Mark Hinton, who is an athletic trainer uh, with a extremely high-level track and field and cross-country program in the country. You can probably guess it when you see his shirt there, uh, which one it is. But I got to know Mark. I can't even remember. It probably went all the way back to grad school because I think you yeah. were at Arkansas in 09. I was at Kansas, and then we met up again when I was at Oklahoma State, and I spent more than my fair share of time at Arkansas. <laughs> from both of those schools uh, we spent oh, yeah. a lot of time there so uh thank you to arkansas for hosting so many things uh but i always like going down there and it was always fun to keep an eye on what mark and his staff was doing because they were usually always on the cutting edge of absolutely everything so uh, without further ado mark you want to give a little bit of your background and how you ended up where you are and kind of your progression through arkansas which you've been there for what 10 years now this is year 10 there you go uh, got kind of, you know, it was just kind of right place, right time. I uh, got uh, picked up as a GA. Uh, I'd only worked one semester of track and field in my undergrad. The rest was the typical football, baseball. Uh, and then when I left, I worked, I went to a lifetime fitness back where I'm from in Kansas City for about four months. And then my boss left and I was like, I want to come back. And I got hired on as an intern for six eight months and then they they created another full-time position which was much needed uh that ended up being mine as a dual appointment where i was an instructor for our masters of athletic training program and uh working track and field since we're still a split program uh aki tajima who was my yeah. co-worker at the time um we did kind of decided to subtly split ourselves as well uh you know, I'd, it was just a better rapport with the women's staff for me, and he had a better rapport with the men's staff. Not that there was any struggles there on either side. It just worked out better with our mindsets. And then the rest is history, and just chugging along. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had mentioned uh, you were not only – because you cover the whole gamut, right, cross-country through track? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All three seasons. Yeah, having been there, um, 
and knowing how that goes. But you also working, like I said, one of, if not the most historic track programs in the country, just in terms of national championships and whatnot. Uh, track athletes aren't exactly the easiest ones to A, work with all the time and B, necessarily keep healthy. Given yeah, the long right. season, we were just talking a little bit before we came on, just you're kind of in that part of the year where things are starting to break down and you got to try and build them back up. Yeah. What have you found over your career so far that's <laughs> most effective? I know for me, I got way too heavy at one point on the soft tissue and ignored a rehab part mm-hmm. than I needed to. And now I feel like the strength and conditioning side plays a huge role, but not trying to get too far on. But what have you, what have you seen? Uh, it's pretty similar. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of give and take. Uh, ultimately, my theories are based on like biomechanics, joint motion, joint capacity, and getting things strong and stable. Um, I've actually been very fortunate this year to take a little bit more of a role uh, with the blessing of my coaches to do a lot more uh, stride work with the kids and a lot of uh, running progressions, even when they're healthy in season, if they're still coming back from stuff. Uh, you know, like especially distance runners monitoring their mileage and things like that. It's not it's not as big of a factor with um, with our sprinters because my sprint coach, uh, Chris Johnson, is very good with, um, you know, working with us. It's very rare that we're not on the same page. So I think that's a huge thing for us to be able to 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 have and being able to kind of say, hey, you know, so and so has got this going on. They could benefit from A, B, and C changes in training for A, B, and C amount of time, and then we'll be good. Um, I think a lot of the panic, if you will, in track and field, especially, uh, well, really across the board, is just the, even though it's a long overall season, a lot of it is that, um, you know, the next meet's coming up quick. So, you know, you're kind of against the clock on that. So, that's going to play a huge factor in being able to uh, make decisions and, you know, kind of what are we going to do now and what's the contingency plans. So you got to be about, you know, four to five steps ahead of everything. Uh, But it's kind of evolved for me over the years because, you know, I did a lot of what I will uh, self-admitted do as like um, reactive type therapies, Mm -hmm. if you will, you know, Hey, okay. Something happened. And then this is what we're going to do. Whereas over the past five years or so, we've really kind of um, changed to trying to get more proactive. So uh, my coworker now, Cole Peterson, we um, he does a little bit more of like a trainability assessment that he created. And I do a lot of just kind of watching because I just like to analyze gait and stuff just by seeing them run because that's just how I learn and process. Right. And then we'll add, you know, certain amounts of strengthening stuff. Uh, and then just having been in this game for so long, you can take any pretty much any event individual and know where their deficiencies or, or uh, you know, muscle problems are going to end up or already have because that's just the nature of the sport. Right. You know, you're moving in one plane with most of these people for so long that in the sagittal plane, they're not going to be very strong or stable. And I think a lot of young athletic trainers don't quite understand the importance of that. And that's just from teaching my students every semester. Um, 
you know, kind of understanding how to own the sagittal plane if you're moving in the frontal plane or own, excuse me, I got that backwards on the frontal plane. If you're moving in the sagittal plane, right. Uh, being able to just hold that stability so that you can have more energy efficiency forward because that's the goal. So uh, I still do a lot of soft tissue. I've, multiple methods that I like to use for soft tissue. I think that's very important. What are your favorites um, now? Um, I'm still using a lot of fascial abrasion technique. Okay. Uh, I did do, I also do fascial distortion model, which is more like an Arosti. It's a more oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Type therapy, but that also has its place of significance. Um, I think the biggest thing with soft tissue is time placement. Uh, and like you mentioned, I think it is very possible to overdo it. And a lot that I find out with with these kids is that, you know, they go home and they're just they're they're pickers. You know, they they feel tightness and then they pick at themselves and some mm -hmm. of them look back that they're bruised and and everything. And that's that's just so counterproductive. Uh, it's obviously somewhat unavoidable, and, but it's something like I try to reinforce, you know, hey, let's knock that off so I can do A, B and C. Um, and it's just a lot of give and take. I, I try to schedule my continuing ed stuff as a, you know, one year I'll do what, a, like a feel good, if you will, you know, okay. you feel something right then, like a couple of years ago, I did dry needling cause we are able to needle in Arkansas. Okay. So, and then last year I did what's called FRA, which is functional range assessment, which is a joint joint to joint based eval procedure. Just talking about like joint mechanics and their capacity. Um, and I think that's so invaluable to be able to, to understand. And that just runs right in line with kind of my mindset of how I process, you know, this game of athletic training. So, so I'm curious on the dry needling since you said you did it a couple years ago. Is that something like it is like the rage right now for us um, in just terms of, you know, athletes doing it? Uh, we've got some, we'll call it gray area in Wisconsin yeah, about if yeah, we can do sure. it or not. And so I've taken a course. I got to go and finish the second <clears throat> part of it. Um, mm -hmm. It just seems to be something that, because it's like the new thing, up, at least up here, do you use it consistently, especially with track? Yeah, oh, yeah. I use it. Um, I mean, I just did a couple people yesterday. Obviously, when I took the course, you know, you, you get a new toy and you do it all the time. Absolutely. But now, um, just through trial and error, and this has no – like research significance. It's just my observation that like in the, in the more acute stuff that it almost uh, has not a negative effect, but it's just not as effective Okay. You know, for chronic stuff. I think it works a lot better. Um, but as with everything that I do with CEUs, I kind of go in like, it's just another tool in the toolbox that I go back to, um, you know, making things stronger, making things more stable because rehab and strengthening and stuff is going to be, that's going to be what it is. And it's a good give and take because then I can say, you know, they'll find out that I know how to needle and they'll say, oh, I, I never had acupuncture. And then I have to correct that because that's not what it is. <laughs> but and then it's, hey, can I get needles today? And I say, did you do your rehab? Yes. No. No. Then no, you're not going to get them until you do your rehab. Yes, you can do them after you do your rehab or the, since you've completed it, then yeah. Right. So it's a good um I mean, it's just a good compromise, I think. And I think having a wider range of those types of skills as you progress through athletic training kind of helps with your compliance with the kids, you know, because it's it's just like a, a treat, if you will, at the end of because, you know, like 
it's going to feel good. You're going to feel something like you're going to feel some sort of change in something. Right. And, you know, that's, that's why, you know, with well-placed soft tissue, you don't even really have to do much. It's just that human touch element of, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to make you okay. You know, and I think that we as athletic trainers are, you know, we're kind of fixers. Right. You know, we're like that safe haven because it's just our job to kind of make everything okay. Yeah. I've wondered, I've listened to some more people on the evolution of like pain science or uh -huh. all the different things or, you know, that people are adapting there. And then I kind of look back at some of the treatments, like you look at myofascial decompression or like cupping mm -hmm. especially on certain areas. And it's just like, is that actually truly accomplishing what we think it is, or is it somehow just messing enough with the nervous system and on like a pain level? And I don't know enough about it to get again, too far into any science, but sure. Most of the time it seems to fix things. And I can, you know, if somebody's got a spine issue, that's deep, well, we aren't really affecting the deep, deep things directly, but oh, yeah. apparently it still does something because they get up and they feel a whole lot better. So, I, okay. Well, you got it. You so, know, I think it's just, uh, that's where I've been kind of heading. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm trying to look up more stuff on like upregulating or deregulating the nervous system because mm -hmm. you, know, you have so many, you know, tightness issues that is related to neural drive problems. Right. You know, because the origin and insertion aren't coming closer together, causing tightness. You know, people people can't do the splits because they have some sort of like block in the way. It's just a neural drive issue because you don't do the split, so you don't move in that capacity. So being able to change those central nervous system signals and be able to like, you know, increase people's movement variability is kind of my main goal because then if you increase that, then acute injury is very deregulated and you're you're swelling and inflammatory responses much less right and obviously with the clock always against you then you know you're you need that right you know, you're trying to move fluid out for you know a week when you could move it out in a day or two and then get back to strengthening stuff so uh, the same yeah. preloading and preloading inversion of an ankle for preparing you know for an inversion injury. And if mm -hmm. you already have that movement variability, then if you acutely sprain your ankle, you're not going to have that almost panic response of the inflammatory system saying, Oh crap, I don't know what happened, but right. Interesting. Uh, you know, I found that to be extremely, extremely helpful. I mean, the, and that's, that's what I really love about track and field too, is it's just, um, how do I say this? It It's like a, where you're i don't have the ability as much to potentially like tape things up and this and that you know with track and field there is the place for that but a yeah. lot of it is i mean if if you're especially for you know a program that's trying to win national championships three seasons out of three seasons it's something that I, you know you can't be operating at 80 percent right and it's just different for different sports and that's not to take away from any other sport or what anybody else is doing. It's just, that's just track and field. You know, if you have a sprained ankle and you can't run, you know, but that's what you have to do, then I have to fix that. Right. Get as close as I can. Or, and I always liked it because it was, there was a, like a direct correlation between how well you could move and how efficiently you could and your performance. 100%. And, there were so many things either from a strength and conditioning side or prevention, you know, looking at all these different things and soft tissue that I personally could directly 
effect <coughs> and can help control. Whereas like working football, sure, there's a bunch of things I can do, but there's so much that you can't control that oh, 100%. I don't have a, I can't have this direct necessarily effect, which I always thought was fun with track and field. Oh, I agree. That's, and that's, I, I still get, you know, get pumped on the challenge and that's kind of what keeps me in the game is, you know, most, I mean, 10 years on the track circuit is that's a long time. Most people are like, you know, three to five and they don't want to do Which it. I have anymore. a question for you later. So, okay. I got you. Um, but a lot of it is, it's just a matter of, of finding whatever works for you. And mm -hmm. I teach my students all the time, you know, I, cause I was the same way you get out, you know, you have this, you just passed your test and you, you're going to save the world. And a lot of it is don't ever lose that, but you have to learn how to delegate your energy to, to things of, of that or, or, you know, what's going to be most effective because it, that's, what's going to burn you out, especially with a roster consistently of like seven of 70 people. Right. And if, if the time comes that we combine programs and it's essentially, you know, 130 people, and I mean, that's a lot of energy day in and day out for 12 hours a day when you're, you know, really trying to, to make the most out of everything. And it's just a matter of finding what works for you with your thought process. Makes sense. Do you guys work um, with strength and conditioning or do you guys run your own with in your track coaches and whatnot? Uh, no, we... So we just hired our first full time with just track and field. I think it was about three years ago now. Okay. So he's a former All American decathlete. He's actually been working with our team for about as long as I have because he was he came down here with the new coaching regime back in '08 because um, Coach Geffert was his coach. His name is Matt Clark. Okay. And he um, uh, came down and was a professional decathlete for a, a while, and then he basically. Uh, and got a couple of injuries and this and that, but he was also big into strength and conditioning. And uh, he started helping out uh, coaching and strength and conditioning. And then the specifically the men's staff really pushed hard to get him hired on full time. Um, so he's he's now just with track and field and uh, he really knows his stuff. So a lot of it is that we um, I think that the gap between athletic training and strength and conditioning gets closer every year. I agree. Uh, and it should because it's, you know, it's really just one does more medical stuff, in yeah. my opinion. You know, and there's been a subtle shift with athletic training going more to the, as it should, the medical provider. You're like medical professional. You're the skills that are being taught and will oh, yeah. do are evolving. Hundred percent. And so, you know, we're in constant communication. Um, but the good part is we, you know, we're very much on the same page because we've known each other so long that right. it's like, you know, Hey, um, who can do this, that, and the other, or what's their limitation? I'm like, well, they just need to strengthen, you know, their glute or whatever else more. And he knows what to do. Like, I don't have to give him a bunch of instructions because he knows track and field. Right. Uh, the good part is that so we're, we're finally fixing to build a new uh, building on the South end of our uh, outdoor track, which will be like our operations and performance center. Okay. And we were pretty adamant that we wanted to be because they're building a new weight room and training room in there. Okay. And we were like, hey, our big thing is like we need to be right next to the weight room for safety, but also because we want to have that flow back and forth. 
put the offices right down the middle. Yep. Being able to, to like, we'll do our rehab in the weight room because that's what, how we like to operate. Yep. We use kettlebells, dumbbells, things like that. It's not just therabands and stuff anymore. Right. Yeah. You, know, awesome. you need that open space. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of movement correction with that type of stuff. And, and uh, so it's just gelling so much together anymore. And I find that across the board, you know, especially at the, at the high level track programs, you know, the, all the trainers are uh, always in involved with that stuff. And it's, it's a good uh, relationship to have. Definitely. <laughs> Do you still work with the pro athletes? Yeah. Yeah. I was working on Sandy yesterday. Any changes in how you approach thing working with those guys? Just not really taking the next level. Yeah. I mean, not really. It's all geared towards the same. Um, This sounds like very uh, braggy, if you will. But like you said, like some of these kids are already at a high level. Right. And and so they just kind of keep doing what they're doing. And now they just get paid for it. Yeah, you watch the world marks that get set like every year at NCAA oh, yeah. championships. It's unbelievable. Oh, it's insane. And it's, I mean, it just keeps getting faster and faster every right. year. I mean, we, they did a study because, um, <laughs> you know, indoor nationals was at A&M last year and okay. you know, USC, USC breaks the world record. It wasn't uh, rectified, unfortunately, but they break the world record of the four by four. You know, there's multiple records that fell at that meet. So, you know, they had a lot of momentum about who's got the fastest track indoors. And so they did a study. Uh, it's kind of a friendly feud, I guess, if you will, for between us and them. So they did a study on all the, the national qualifying marks uh, indoor this year. And we had like some, I think it was 40 percent, if not more, of just our indoor track. But it's just, I mean, it's not even necessarily that. I mean, the surface is going to play a little bit into it, but not right. as much as you would suspect but a lot of it is i mean those are just fast kids mm-hmm. they're really well-trained athletes and that's what's always exciting you know um this semester especially i've had some kids that aren't very or my students that are not real familiar with track and field and they're just like in the infield covering their events like clapping and cheering and stuff and you know getting after it because they were just stoked right uh, i was able to travel one of my uh, students out to Stanford this last weekend and Emily Sisson uh, and Molly Huddle both made the Olympic standard in the 10K running sub 31 and just it was, and he's like that was so cool you know but it's it's amazing. a 30 minute race would be so exciting I know 25 laps and everybody's like oh my gosh I can't stand watching that and I'm like that was that was a race to be seen right so, I mean, I had one of my girls in it too. So we we're more worried about like coaching her uh, <laughs> and, and kind of keeping an eye on her. But obviously we we're watching the beginning, but they were just moving. And it's right. just really exciting. You know, it's just one of those things that uh, I would have to say I'm definitely a full on track nerd at this point because it's just, you just have to immerse yourself in it. Right. right? And, and that's just kind of what keeps you hungry for it, I guess. Yeah, I never thought I would be, but anytime I catch it on TV, I'll stop and watch. And my wife's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "This is good. Like, this oh, is yeah. this is worth watching." Oh, 100 percent. You just gotta. I mean, once you know what you're looking at, you're like, "Man, right. that's crazy." It's hard. It's been hard to compute it to Division Three because we've got an extremely strong track program, men's and women's here. 
our men are always competing. But like when you see it at that like elite level, mm-hmm. like I don't know what a good five k time is for a division three guy because I'm used to <laughs> someone run mid thirteen minutes, which is incredible. Yeah, and it's like hard to like shift that down. Oh man, it's crazy. I mean, I appreciate I, it as much. I was just talking about that the other day. I was like, I don't know because people ask me all the time. They're like, you know, would you work track anywhere else? And I, I don't have a great answer. I think if I made like a linear move, possibly. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I honestly think I don't think I would be unsatisfied. But I would, there would definitely be a transition of, of, uh, you know, that same understanding. Like I don't, I don't know. Like what, what would be considered like, oh, uh, you know, just a slow time at this place that could win national championships. Right. I mean, we've even had people, you know, it goes back to the SEC debate and, you know, just the conference in general of uh, how fast it is, you know, speed rules, Houston surgeon right now, you know, they're, they're, they got some fast guys right now. They're doing great things uh, down there, but, you know, just we've had kids that were on our team and, you know, we're not even making the conference roster that transferred to different conferences and we're, we're like winning conference races in the right. same. Uh, and it's just, it's just madness. There's just so much speed anymore. And it, it just keeps chipping down faster and faster. I mean, it took like, I think the indoor mile on the women for the top 16 took 432 to get in this year. Maybe 435 so that's just flying yeah you know so it just, and trying to keep up with that as as a clinician is is a, a new challenge every year especially you know with changing uh the changing personalities of these athletes as they get younger and younger right i died a little when i wrote down on my physical the zero zero yeah like, oh, man. said man i'm getting old right Yep. Not young pups anymore, Joel. <laughs> no. And we're not even that old. I know, right? It's yeah. Uh um, you talked about it, you were, you know, at Stanford last weekend. I remember trips out to national championships in Oregon where you'd be there for seven, eight days. Oh yeah. Um I think you're from what I've seen recently married, not not too yeah. long ago. Yeah, a couple years now. Yep. Same here, uh, coming up on year one. How do you balance work and life, especially with track and field, with cross-country meets all through the fall, right into indoor? I'm assuming you guys practice on the weekends in some mm-hmm. context to a degree. I know I had a lot of seven-day weeks for a lot of weeks in a row. How do you how do you balance that? Uh, I mean, well, I'm very fortunate for me is because my wife is also an athletic trainer and she's working. She works gymnastics here. Okay. So we spent two years apart because we met when she was at Vanderbilt. So we had to do the distance things for a couple years. Uh, and then my, my good friend Jason took another job. So Jason was the, the old uh, gymnastics trainer and he took a, another job up north just in Rogers. Um, and uh, so I pushed pretty hard um, to get her here because she was a level 10 gymnast when she was younger. So she obviously understands the sport and she was working like 16 hour days working track and field over there by herself because she didn't have any help. And uh, so it was a good transition. So I'm very fortunate to be able to see her every day. Her office is literally right around the corner from where I'm sitting right now. 
Nice. So, you know, that's that's very, uh, very fortunate. Um, but uh, I just really, uh, thankfully, with the tenure that I've had here and the understanding, like I just kind of set the boundaries. You know, my coaches are very understanding in the fact that, that she always comes first. Okay. And uh, so, obviously, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to give all my effort uh, towards that when it, the time is there. But at the same time, when I go home, like unless it's an emergency, I don't really want to know. Right. Uh, obviously, like if you need me, then I'm going to answer. But, you know, we, we just kind of have that that understanding of, you know, there's going to be these times and that times that like this weekend, you know, uh, there are multiple factors. But I'm like, you know, my wife is gone. We got two dogs and being able to have a good GA that I trust to send with my sprinters down to texas where they're at right now is also invaluable but it's just like delegating those those times out to be able to have those boundaries like i'm gonna you know the quality time is when i'm paying attention to you um obviously yeah there's a lot of times where we're both traveling or whatever else but the good part is since she also is in the in the game that it's you know she understands right so we do a lot of you know we've already got our summer trips planned and and all that stuff so we're gonna go go on vacation and get out of town for a while and we just make the best of the time that we do have and with the understanding that it's it's nothing that we're doing on purpose it's just what the job entails right so just trying to find that balance between you know work and life like everybody else is is something that you know i think we have it pretty well figured out for our current situation um and that, and that becomes obviously with the knowledge that potentially some years down the road, whenever the time comes and I get out of track and field, then, you know, or, I mean, if I get out of track and field, then, you know, we'll do other stuff and have probably more time. For sure. So we just, we just make it work. It's just, I think it's just what it is. You know, we both have the understanding that this is, that's just the job. Right. So it's going pretty good. It's good to hear. Good to hear. Anything else that you want to cover before we jump into those athletic training chat questions? Let me see. No, I think we pretty well covered most of it all. Sounds good. Well, you probably kind of already answered the first one, uh, but I'll make you do it again. Uh, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? You know, I, I, it's just, I just appreciate being able to, to have the opportunity to do what I do. I mean, I've, I, when you start athletic training, like, you, I mean, yeah, you may have your, your goals and, and this and that, like I want to win a national championship or, or whatever, at whatever level. I mean, but I never in a million years would have imagined that it would have turned out this way for me. Um, you know, coming from a little D2 program, um, like I said at the beginning, it's just right place, right time. Uh, I think my work ethic really speaks speaks a lot to being able to stay in this position mm -hmm. uh, and 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 make the friends that I have and the colleagues that I have and all that. And you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, you know, being able to to do what I'm able to do uh, with the freedom of thinking that I that I'm able to achieve because. I, everybody knows that that's what I'm working towards. Right. You know, and it's a really proud moment, especially, 
you know, this, this indoor season when we won the national title. I mean, you can't help but tear up a little bit because that's a lot of work. Right. And, and I think that unless you're actually been there and doing it, athletic training day in and day out and in the grind, no matter what the sport, like that's why you do it. You know, it's, I think, it, not to sound too holier than, than any other profession, but I mean, it's a pretty selfless profession. I mean, you give a lot of yourself. I've missed a lot of weddings and a lot of every other thing, just like everybody else. Right. Uh, you know, Cole and I kind of joke with our students when they're like, we have a wedding to go to. And we're like, unless you're in the wedding, it's not, it doesn't count. Right. Yep. You know, and obviously that's for fun, but uh, it, it's just <laughs> one of those things like you have to understand. And I, I fear that, uh, that the people that, that do burn out of athletic training, like, I don't know. I don't know if they didn't expect that or, or whatever. And everybody has their reasons, but that's just what it is. Yeah, I, don't, and, I think kind of like you said, whether they didn't know or the hesitancy to set boundaries. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's one. Um, I know I struggled with that. Like you just, I felt like I could never say no. And oh, I, yeah, you just always felt like you can't be there, but that's something I've very much grown out of um, mm -hmm. while still getting the job done and doing it at an extremely high level. But oh, so yeah. Knowing when to pull it, rein it in and not overcommit. I mean, anymore, like treating injuries, like it's just, it's almost less is more, if you will. Right. Because, I mean, you can throw all this stuff at any injury, really. And it's a matter of being able to just kind of work with different personalities. You know, I was, when I was teaching rehab here, I, I was very adamant like, you're not going to get along with everybody. Mm -hmm. You're not going to mesh with everybody. It's just not. It's, I mean, you're dealing one of the most important factors to consider when you're treating people is you're dealing with the human element and the right. human element is flawed. And that's OK, but you have to be able to adapt to to different cultures and stuff. And that's one thing that I really um, have enjoyed over the years of dealing with different nationalities that, that don't always respond to the same thing. Um, you know, there's people that you can strong arm and kind of make them like be stern with them. And there's other people that they'll shut down and you can't do that. And I think right. that's one of the most exciting things about being an athletic trainer is just meeting all those different people. Um, but you also have to be prepared that it's just not good enough. You know, especially when, you know, well, why am I hurting? And I, I don't know, let's figure it out or whatever else, but you have to be prepared for that. I mean, that's a lot of mental capacity that you have to go through to, to do this job. Um, but I always just kind of picture it as a game, you know, it's just a guessing game and it's just, I don't, I mean, Hey, we can do the same treatment on every injury and some people may get better. Some people not, but that's the fun part about it. For sure. So you have to be, be prepared to evolve. Uh, and I, I mean, I can firmly say that when, like, you know, when we started on the circuit together, I do a lot of things differently than when I started, but sticking to the same basic principles. Right. No, you know, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, just following the inflammatory process and this and that. I mean, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm very proud to do what I do. Um, you know, I'm not searching for recognition because I know what I did. Right. But I don't need anybody to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, great job. You know, you're all this and that. Like, I don't really care about that praise because I know what I've done, you know, but. I think that 
as we evolve as a profession, I think that as, as the general public starts to understand more of, of what we do, that that's going to bring all of the, the, the things that come with the understanding of what we actually are, are doing day in and day out every day. Agreed. So, What advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer if you could go back and oh. give yourself a piece of advice? Just calm down and go with the flow. You know, I used to get all been out of shape about stuff that I just don't even care about anymore. Um, you know, like people in the training room when it's locked or, or supposed to be locked or whatever else. And just being able to just there's so many things that are beyond your control. Right. That all you can do is what you can do. And it's the same theory that I always talk about is with with pretty much everybody is just the situation that, you know, especially working in a collegiate setting. Even though these are high high end elite level athletes, they're they're college kids. Right. And they're probably gonna make college kids mistakes. You know, they're gonna have bouts where they eat crappy and and bouts where they, you know, drink alcohol or or stay up too late or whatever else. And there are plenty of plenty of examples that don't do that because they have the bigger goal in mind. But at the same time, like, you know, people make dumb decisions, you can't really come down on them real hard you just have to continue to deal with it and hopefully they'll understand you know obviously reinforcing this is the reason you're here and being able to to you know help people achieve their level and highest level of you know their talent and competition and and their marks and being able to run fast and jump high i mean that's the goal but you also have to understand sometimes you just got to go with the flow and chill out a little bit i like it you know you get fired up and you're just like, oh, but then I'll look back. And I'm like, I don't even know why I was been out of shape about that because it's fine. Like we're going to fix it. Right. But, and, and that's the thing. Like I tell the athletes all the time, if I get upset or fired up, cause I'm, I'm a pretty intense person. It's not because I'm like mad at you or don't like you or whatever else. It's just, I want you to do well so badly. Yep. So badly that, that that's why it frustrates me when you're not doing what, what, I ask you to do. And I still have, uh, Doc Baxter, who was my mentor, uh, years ago would always say, if the athletes can't follow simple instructions, then you're going to have a bigger problem. And I still hold to that Testament like all the time because, you know, you ask people come in, just do as I ask and you're going to be fine. You're going to get better. You're going to run faster. You're going to stay healthy and be consistent in your training. And, if they can do that, then I'll help them. And if they can't, it's, it's not me that's in the way. Right. You know, I told one of my students yesterday, I'm like, everything that we have here is on a silver platter for them to pick from. And if they're staying hurt or not getting better or not performing, it's not us that's in the way. Right. Our entire existence is to help you be great. And if you're not, it's not because we're not doing our job. Right. I like that a lot. That's a, I really like that. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just the, the thing that honestly, I think it's a big thing that keeps you from burning out. Like just accepting and understanding how much is out of our control, mm -hmm. but being very good at the things that you can control. Well said. Uh, what is the most influential resource that you may have found in your career? Um, <clears throat> one of the, 
one of the biggest things for me is when when I took a functional range release through the functional anatomy seminars guys, uh, which is um, like Dr. Andrea Spina, okay, Dr. Michael Shivers, uh, my grandphone, and Dewey Nielsen. And all those guys, I mean, they just, I, the first time that I took functional range release with, uh, with Dre is my, I mean, my mind was just blown and it really adjusted my thinking into simply following like force load capacities, tissue healing and, uh, working with connective tissue and just kind of guiding healing the way it's supposed to heal because that's where you get a way better result, um, whether it be post-surgical, post-acute injury, or even dealing with movement correction that's from chronic injury. It's something that um, if you can understand and follow that that line of healing, you'll get way better results. Um, so I've done three different certifications from them and I use it every day, just in my thinking and application and it's the basis of all my rehabs and my evaluations now. Um, I mean, that's the biggest change that I've had since I was um, younger in this profession is, I mean, I, I don't even do what I would consider traditional evals anymore. It's all based on your joint mechanics. Okay. Um, I'm not really interested in, in uh, specifically what hurts or what you hurt. I know that when you're diagnosing stuff, people love that. Like, oh, you have, right. you know, your peroneus longus is is strained and but that doesn't matter like because everything else is assistive and, and involved in the movement of that and this and it functioning as an eversion and stabilizing muscle but it's not the only thing that works so and you can't isolate it you can't isolate anything in the body it's all just stuff right so understanding the global movement and, and rehabilitation of that type of an injury is something that that uh is i think more effective then just, oh, well, we're going to do all this eversion stuff to help you strengthen up your peroneus longus. I'm like, that doesn't matter. And you're also, and in my opinion, you're only getting a small slice of the pie when you're doing that. Right. You know, if you're not addressing your foot dexterity or your knee mechanics or anything like that, then you're probably going to come back where you started. And, and it's highly likely that it's going to injure again, but also following the healing process and, and helping with that. Uh, really going back to those that functional anatomy stuff is really what kind of opened my eyes to, man, I could really be more effective if I change the way that I think and do these types of things this way. Uh, and to me, it's kind of funny because it's all, as I've seen it, you know, again, back to the methods that have changed as the years have gone over, it's pretty funny to me because we've almost gone like more primal in the sense that I'm just going to have you move around in ways that you haven't moved around probably ever mm -hmm. since you were a baby and have you just get stronger in those. Like I'm not going to hook you up to a bunch of machines and use all right. this other stuff to help with that. I mean, we do do that to some extent. Um, but the amount of modalities that I used to use compared to what I do use now is significantly decreased. And I'm just, having way better results from just doing movement corrections and stride corrections and changing biomechanics and just making people stronger. Um, so that all came from those functional anatomy guys. And then I've just evolved it by doing more in their system. Uh, and it's just amazing to me. 
I will have to check that out. That sounds very cool and very interesting. It's, it's good stuff. I would highly, I encourage everybody to look into that that comes through the program just because even if you don't ever use it, just getting that different line of thinking of stuff is something that you're just kind of like, whoa. Right. No, I'll have to look that up. For sure. If you could change or eliminate a thing, whether it be a modality, a common practice, a mindset um, in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. If I could change one thing, I think the biggest thing I would change is just the general public's understanding of what we actually are doing Not and how many different model. hats we're wearing. You know, you, you play you play the role of of you know big brother, mom, dad, psychologist, <laughs> you know, rehab specialist, wound care specialist, this and that. And I think that and I think it'll come. I think a big part of it is is we are just such a young profession. Right. And, you know, as we continue to to climb for our, our area of the spotlight, uh I would really, I'm really looking forward to the times and I have no idea when that would be, but when people don't, you know, you tell people you're an athletic trainer and they think that you, you're like, oh, you get people really strong and this and that. I'm like, well, six pack abs. Yeah, that's part of it, but, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. So, um, I'm just, that's my biggest thing is I, I just do everything, whatever I can to help aid in that and being able to further our profession from that way. Um, I don't think it's like us versus anybody. I right. think we're just trying for our slice of the pie uh, in a sense. You know, I know that we're probably pissing off some other professions that are similar to ours. And, and my opinion is always like, we're not trying to impede on anybody. We're just trying to do our stuff. Agreed. Um, but I, that's the one thing that I'm really looking forward to changing is just people's understanding of how much different stuff we have to take on and, and take care of and do. Um, I always joke, I'm like, Hey, you can take my work phone for a week and just watch, mm -hmm. see what happens. Like just how many, and this is what I like about it too. It's just how many different types of things that you get to deal with. I mean, from blood work to tissue work to orthopedic stuff to, mental health stuff which is becoming far more prominent as right. every year goes by but like being able to make those referrals and change things and and help people is is one of the very fun things about this and when people start to understand that more and more and more then i think that's going to be huge for us i i would agree so that leads right perfectly into the last question is where do you see the profession going in the next five to ten years um, I think, I think that that is, you know, following all the, unfortunately, the, the problem is that a lot of publicity is coming out from sudden athlete deaths mm -hmm. and is, I guess if you want to call it twisted, like that's, that's kind of like making people realize the importance of our profession, which is very unfortunate. Right. Um, I agree more. It's also something that. I think is going to help us continue to, to move forward. Um, I'm not entirely sure how by 22 when everything has to be master's level, 
how that's going to affect us. I think it's actually going to hurt us initially uh, in the beginning because you're asking people for so many years of experience fresh out the gate when you don't have any experience. Like you have mm -hmm. no experience in an experience based injury or uh, industry, excuse me. Um, and I don't know if that's going to affect salary ranges or anything like that, but usually people with less experience get paid less. Right. And uh, I, that kind of goes back into people's understanding of, of one, that how valuable it is to have us Two, that uh, unfortunately we're not all interchangeable. You know, we're not, all, I mean, yeah, most jobs and some jobs, yeah, everything's expendable. The, the, the wheels keep turning, but nobody's going to do the job the way that I do it. And, and I think like, as that correlates with people's understanding of our actual like day in and day out profession, that I think that once the years continue on that I think we're going to become even stronger as a profession to be able to, to do that. I just think it's going to take some time. I mean, it, comparatively, when you look at how young we are compared to other medical professions, like we're right. young. Yeah. That's why people don't understand um, uh, real precisely what we actually function as. Yeah. But uh, I think that, as we continue to evolve as a profession, uh, that, uh, that's going to be really good for us. Couldn't agree more. It's going to be an interesting next 10 years. That's for sure. hundred percent. But I think, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be good. I think we're probably a little oversaturated. So you see a lot of crappy jobs, but the need and um, the unfortunate events that happen to increase that are going to do that. But I think we're going to keep peop more people in the profession. You're going to have less, ATs going to PT or whatnot. So it's just going to bolster us up and make us stronger and for the better. I agree. So, well, sir, in the interest of time and to kind of wrap things up, if people want to get in contact with you, if you're comfortable with that or follow anything from you, what do you got? Oh, I'm on, uh, I mean, I'm always available through email or whatever. I'm on the, uh, ArkansasRazorbacks.com uh, under the sports medicine tab. Uh, feel free to email me with any questions or anything. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at a Hulk like me one one. Nice. And uh, um, I mean, obviously on Facebook with the same name. Awesome. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm always open to any discussion. Uh, whatever. I can talk forever. So. <laughs> Well, that's good. We that, that's worked out perfect. There you go.